Happy holidays. Welcome to another episode of Locked On NBA Draft. Really appreciate you joining. I know last week I was out. I was uh, pretty sick. I was unable to hear, unable to talk. It would have been a brutal combination for your ears in turn. So I wanted to save you some trouble on your own ears. But thank you for making Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. My name is Richard Stamen. Good episode for you coming up. I have an interview with Derek Murray uh, from basketballnews.com and Babcock Hoops. He has been around on draft Twitter for years and has intel, really good intel to share that I think you'll really like. Um, Let's go ahead and get this rolling. And thank you for listening. Happy holidays. And can't wait to see you next week after Christmas basketball. You are locked on NBA Draft. Your daily podcast on the NBA Draft. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to another episode of Locked On NBA Draft. My name is Richard Stamen. Got a really good episode for you today. Joined by by a longtime draft Twitter friend of mine, Derek Murray. You might know him as at D Murray Hoops on Twitter. He is an NBA draft advisor with Babcock Hoops and BasketballNews.com, one of the very best draft followers on Twitter. Uh, I've had him on the podcast on Mavs Draft Podcast back when I did that. Just knows a ton about basketball. Uh, really knows a lot about the draft landscape. Derek, how are you doing today? Richard, I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me on with, you know, with enough games finally kind of under our belts in both uh, the G League night and the college season. Uh, we can finally really start getting a grip of what these guys are, and, and it's time to start ramping up talking about it. So I'm excited and appreciative of you having me on. Yeah, we, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of that. We're going to talk about some of the Baylor guys, uh, a special sleeper of ours that we both like, Nate Johnson from Xavier, and then also the G League uh, Ignite team and honestly, maybe even just the G League landscape and then some sleepers both of us uh, have had our eyes on. So let's go ahead and dive right into it with Baylor. I feel like Baylor is a pretty hot commodity being, you know, the number one team, uh, the reigning champions. And despite losing Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, uh, the list kind of goes on. Macy Oteague, they, they lost a lot of role players. They're still the team to beat in Baylor. What jumps out from them for you? And what do you take away from the Baylor roster in terms of the draft? Yeah, so I was down there for the Villanova game last Sunday when they just put on an absolute clinic uh, defensively and whooped up on Villanova. Um, I believe all 30 NBA teams had a guy there. So like it was really good to kind of pick all their brains as well and just kind of share a lot of info with that much talent on the floor. And my two big takeaways from that game are, one, Kendall Brown's a real deal and every other NBA guy thinks so as well. Uh, I mean, he's got a great size, great frame. He's really, really strong, powerful lower body, and just an incredible athlete. Um, you know, if the draft were tomorrow, I, I think he's probably a top 10 pick uh, based on what we've been hearing. People buy him as a, as a slasher, um, as a lob target in both half court and transition. And he's hit enough catch and shoot kind of spot up threes that people think he'll be able to do that at a high level. Um, the other thing that I take away is, you know, I left really, really bought into Jeremy Sohan as well. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I'd seen the film, um, but I had never seen Sohan up close, at least like sitting on the floor at a game. But that kid's got great size. I'm six foot nine. He's a little taller and longer than Brown is. Really good athlete, uh, great mobility and lateral, uh, lateral quickness. Like his on-ball defense was really special. I think he can lock up probably two through four at the NBA level uh, in the future. And then again, like he's flashed a little bit of creation stuff with the ball in his hand, 
Um, and I think he's got just enough shooting to where he can be effective and, you know, you don't, you can't ignore him out on the perimeter. So honestly, you know, Brown was really good and everybody knows that, but Sohan is the guy that I left the game just kind of really, really intense on like, all right, I think this kid is ready to come out, you know, right now. Um, and he's a guy that I would take probably without any kind of hesitation. Yeah. Sohan is a guy that I had also seen. So I, I went down there for a different game myself, uh, down to Waco to see Stanford in November. That was their fourth game of the year. And Sohan was a guy who I had heard people, you know, they'd only played incarnate word, uh, Nichols state central Arkansas up to that point. We really didn't know how much there was to take away from that stuff. And then he played Stanford and I don't even remember what the stats were. It probably wasn't even anything crazy, but he still was just doing everything out there. The, like you said, the size and athleticism combo, just it popped. He's what, six, eight, six, nine, really good athlete. He's just a modern swing man. Like that's what he is. And I, I really think that, you know, his skill set doesn't need to be anything crazy. It's not super unique or anything like that, but it sticks. And, and he's very young. He's 18. He's got a lot of upside. He's someone who I'm, I'm very glad you brought up because just the upside with him is incredible. He's a pure upside player. You're not drafting him for any year one value. Any year one value is a bonus. Do you think he comes out in 2022? I know it's a super early prediction. Conference play hasn't even started, but what's your prediction on that? Yeah, so like right now, I don't know if there's enough buzz around him to where I would say right now he's probably comfortable in coming out. But to predict and look ahead, I would absolutely think that he would get the feedback of teams saying, please come out. Like that, I, so it's like today, probably not. But by the time the combine and the draft rolls around, uh, I would be shocked if he came back to school. Like I saw enough to where if I'm a team at the back end of the first round, I would make that promise and say, if you come out, and if I've got, you know, 25 to 30, like I'll take you there if you want to come out. And I, I expect somebody to give him that um, next summer. Yeah, he almost screams. And obviously this guy didn't go 25th to 30th, but – it's, it's similar to me in a way that like Josh Primo is viewed where you're like, okay, we know the upside is there. It's a matter of when he gets towards that gear, not an if. Could you do it in the NBA instead of college next year? Like that's that's the hope I feel like with Sohan. Um, going back to Kendall Brown real quick, how much do you worry about his jump shot? Because that to me, that's the only flaw I have on his game is that he's hesitant to shoot it. You know, he doesn't, he's not a no think jump shooter where, which is kind of what you want on the wings, especially but he does so much of everything else that I don't think it holds him back. But what, what do you think about the jump shot? Do you think it could be like a fatal flaw? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, the mechanics there, it's a little bit like the shots a little bit slow to me, but again, I mean, right now, um, let me see if I can find it. What is he hitting 50% from three? I don't know why I feel like I have that wrong. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> I mean, his numbers are, are stupid good right now. This is, this is recording on Monday night. Yeah, shooting 50% from three and 71% from the field. Yeah, and I just think with Brown, I think the shot, like I don't think he's going to be some 40% NBA three-point shooter, but I think he'll give you that low to mid-30s where it's respectable enough that you can't just leave him alone. You have to go out and play defense. But also I think a situation where his role occasionally will be to stretch the floor, but it just won't be his role. Um, I don't think he's going to be asked to put it on the deck. He's not going to be asked to create his own shot. He's going to be mostly a lob target, a rim runner, and a guy kind of uh, finishing at the rim off movement, whether it's running baseline, uh, running off of screens, like stuff like that. So the shot, I think it'll be fine. Like it is a little bit of a concern, but not big enough to where it makes me hesitate in any way because I probably won't be asking him to do it too much at the next level anyway. 
Right. And I think he becomes a play finisher, which is his main thing. Um, one last thing on Baylor before we move on uh, to Nate Johnson and the G League. What do you think? Uh, first of all, do you think there's any other prospects that jump out as draftable? And I guess if uh, I'm, I'm hoping that this would be the player you say, but what do you think of everyday John? Uh, I'm, I've said this name so many times and I just cannot get it right. So excuse my pronunciation, but Jonathan Chama Chachua, what do you think of him? And do you see him as a potential energy NBA guy? Chama Chachua, I saw last year a handful of times and I left the game in Stillwater against Oklahoma state. And I thought, Oh man, like this guy might have a little bit of small ball five in him. Like he might, like he's powerful. He's athletic. He's got long arms. He's aggressive. He's disciplined, like everything. He's averaging eight and a half and eight and a half this year. What I worry about up close is I don't think he's actually six foot eight. So you're almost looking at like a six, 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 seven, small ball five. I just don't know how much that translates that being said, like <laughs> I want him to get a shot because I think he can be that good. Any kind of interior scoring, he can elevate and he's able to throw it down. On defense, he's able to lock you up. Any fours or fives, even though he's undersized, he's so strong and he's so long that he holds his own. And then on both ends, the whole game, no matter what the score is, you're getting high energy. He's running the floor as hard as he can. He's crashing as hard as he can. He's boxing out, setting screens. He's doing the little things well. So I do like uh, Chamo Chachua a lot. That being said, the other prospect on Baylor is Matthew Meyer. Um, I was probably a little bit too low on Meyer coming into the game against Villanova. I believe on Basketball News, we bumped him up to early second round. Um, I believe we have him in the 30s. Let's go look that up right now. Yep, 37 is we have him right now. Um, that shot is just butter, man. It is so smooth. And he gets it off with ease, transition. Uh, pulling up, he can do it off the catch and shoot, no wasted movement at all. If he catches the ball high, he does not have to bring it down. And off the dribble, if you go under or even hesitate at all, like he'll go up and over you because with his length, you can't block him. Um, his defense was really impressive against Villanova. His feet were really nice. Like I, I didn't expect him to be able to move laterally as well as he did. And overall, he's just a really intelligent player. You know, talking to the Baylor staff for the game, they speak very highly of him. Um, and he's a guy that I think is absolutely draftable, should be drafted um, and shouldn't slip that far in the second round because he's got I mean, he's got a you've got the back end of the first round skill set. Honestly, a six nine can be a secondary ball handler and a pull up three point shooter like <laughs> that's going to translate pretty well. So Myers, a guy that I definitely leave higher on uh, than when I showed up to the arena. Yeah, I mean, the size and shooting ability and scoring combo uh, potential three level scoring in some some ways. For Meyer, make him a prospect for sure. And I, I appreciate the insight on uh, Chamula Chachua as well. Uh, so that was the Baylor uh, recap. We talked about Kendall Brown, Jeremy Sohan, Jonathan Chamula Chachua, and, uh, and Matthew Meyer, excuse me. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the G League guys as well as Xavier's Nate Johnson, a shooter to watch. But first, let me tell you about Truebill and Bet Online. Do you know why free trials were new without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Truebill has over 2 million users and has helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. 
Go right now, truebill.com slash locked on NBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. BetOnline.ag has you covered for all your season's props, odds, and lines more than ever before as football season continues as we approach the playoffs in just a couple of weeks. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports actions this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON with one word to receive your bonus. For basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. Joined by Derek Murray uh, at D Murray uh, on Twitter, or excuse me, it is at D Murray Hoops on Twitter. I apologize, Derek. Uh, basketball doc, basketballnews.com advisor, uh, Babcock Hoops advisor as well. Again, one of the smart, smartest NBA draft minds out there. Um, so I know you've gotten to be able to watch a little bit of the G League Ignite more than probably most people. Talk to me. Talk to me about the G League. Why should people be uh, invested in this year's Ignite class? Last year, you know, we saw Isaiah Todd, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, Dacian Nix. What's there to like in this year's group? Yeah, so I was at the G League Ignite um, home opener was the first one I went to uh, up in Des Moines. And I actually sat in the corner seat on the baseline connected to the bench. And it was great to sit up there up close, kind of get to know the guys on a personal level there, get a feel for their personalities, um, how they take coaching and all that kind of stuff. And this is a special group. Like, have they had their struggles? Yes, but they're kids. Um, You know, Foster is a guy that early on, um, really wasn't utilizing his strength enough. He was fading away and he was dribbling too much. And we kind of told some of their guys, we're like, guys, like just, just go towards the basket. You're so much more big. You were so much more physical and you're, you're bigger and longer than these guys, even though they're professionals Like go in there and use your God given talents and attack and Foster's getting better. Um, Hardy has struggled shooting. You know, I think we all have kind of seen a lot of the discourse online lately of Hardy. If, I think he's getting 32 minutes a game. And he's averaging six for 17 from the field per game, 27 and a half percent from three, you know, really struggling. Uh, there's just kind of questions on, you know, his feel for the game. Does he know how to play the game at a high level um, outside of just being able to score better than everybody? And it's just going to come with time. I don't suggest people get too low on him too quickly. He is still going to be one of the, the best scorers, uh, one of the best microwave scorers in this draft class. So, even though he, you know, might be quote slipping a little bit in some people's minds, I do not think it should be very far. You know, Hardy is what he is. He's he is what we thought uh, he was going to be coming into the league uh, out of high school. It's just going to take him time to develop, and that's okay. Um, the guy that I've really been impressed with, and that a lot of NBA people have been impressed with, is Marjan Bochamp. This guy was a pleasure to talk to on the bench. Um, infectious personality. Uh, incredibly hard worker has gotten his body in tre- he's gotten in tremendous shape over the last two years um, with his trainer out in California. And he's just starting to put it all together. Like the flashes that we saw in high school where he looked a little bit raw, where it's like, Hey, he needs to tighten up the handles. He needs to improve getting to the rim. He needs to improve the jumper. He's done all of those things. And he's answered almost all the questions. Like he's active on defense. He can meet you at the rim. He'll run with you in transition going both ways. And now he's hitting pull-up jumpers, catch-and-shoot jumpers. He's just doing it all. And the, the sheer explosiveness uh, definitely impressed me up in those first games that we were able to see him in person. 
um, off of one foot, off of two feet. Guy can elevate so quickly, and he can fly over anybody at the rim. So Bochamp is probably the guy that has him, uh, improved his stock the most. You know, he kind of came in with most people mid to late second round. I think you're looking at probably a first-round pick right now. So really happy for Bochamp and his development. He definitely stands out as a guy that's uh, improved his stock the most uh, through 11 games so far. What about Dyson Daniels? Do you see him as someone whose stock is improving as well? Daniels is going to be an interesting one to track because he's highly intelligent. Um, I think he's got the ability to be a secondary ball handler. He's got some point guard skills, like the vision and passing is definitely there. He can score in bunches. He's such a nice kid that a lot of the questions that we've had and that I've been, you know, kind of told and asked by NBA teams is, you know, does he have the killer mentality to go out and be your team's best player? And I don't know the answer to that. You know, I don't know if he has a little bit of that dog in him. Um, or if he's just going to be kind of like a third or fourth option, you know, secondary backup guard on a really good team. And there's value to both of those things. And I think where front offices really have to look inside and answer questions is if he's not a dog, if he's not going to be your best offensive player or your true lead point guard, you know, if he's just a secondary wing, how high can you take him? Where does that upside come from? So he might have the talent to go in the teens, but if a team doesn't believe that he can be that guy, you might have some guys pass on him uh, and, and he might slip to the twenties, you know? So if you're looking at him or you've got a guy like Max Christie, I think one day can be a leading scorer, um, you know, Peyton Watson and uh, uh, AJ Griffin, you know, there are a lot of questions because neither of them are producing at all, but they're so talented. Do you take him or Daniels? Uh, Bryce McGowan's is another one. Keels is another one. I mean, those are going to have to be like, those are going to be tough discussions because that's kind of his range and his competition at this point. So we have him at 22 as of right now. I think that's probably about where he fits, where he's definitely a first round talent. But to take a guy up in the lottery and really say, here's all this upside, the teams are going to have to be completely convinced that he's competitive enough and has just enough of a dog in him to go out and be your best player. Yeah, he's one of the harder evaluations for me just because of that exact same thing. Like, he's a really good role player, but I don't know how his game necessarily scales up into a bigger role, which kind of concerns me. And I don't know, that's something I always look for. Maybe I'm overvaluing that. But so that that actually makes me feel a little bit better uh, because that, that just seems like he's a very hard player to grasp. So one last player that has started, I think, to get a little bit more attention, at least on Twitter, especially over the last few days, is Fan Bozang. He's, he's a really tall, like 6'10", 6'11". Um, I, I don't even know really much about his game. I'm kind of hoping you'll fill me in in this, but I know he's tall and has a decently nice shot. It's a little bit slow, but um, what do you know about Fan Bozang? Well, <laughs> Zang seems like a great kid. Watch him up close. What I'll tell you is he's not 6'10". Uh, that was one of the very first things we noticed when we showed up to that game and got on the floor. I said, oh, man, I said, this, this kid's not 6'10". What I will say is it made me look at him different because I was looking at, is he a 6'10", stretch four? Is he almost like a stretch five? But you look at him, he's probably closer to 6'7", six, 6'8", six, maybe. Then you look at him as like a 3'4", four, 4'3". Four, he's actually got a pretty nice skill set, you know, decent body. Um, he is skinny, but not in a way where you say, oh, no, he needs to put weight on to be effective. He can put it on the deck. He can get to the rim, competitive. Uh, Zhang seems like a great teammate. Like, I enjoyed more than anybody else on that bench watching him interact with his teammates. 
seems like a guy you want on your team, you want on your bench, you want to support him while he's on the floor as well. So I think he can be an ultimate glue guy for a team. Um, really low volume, shooting the ball pretty well, 54% from three. But again, like incredibly low volume, but at least it's there. Um, I like the offensive skill set. I don't know if he were to – I don't think he's draftable this year. But long-term, I definitely think he's a guy to uh, keep an eye on. So one last player, and I, I, you know I couldn't get away with talking about Scoot Henderson. Um, I, I don't know if you got to see him when you were there because I know there's been a little bit – there was a little bit of a delay in him coming onto the scene. But does – I mean, talk to me about Scoot. Like, what's it been like to be able to see him? And, I mean, obviously he's trending towards one of the top picks in 2023 when he's eligible – Tell everyone why they should be or in or out on Scoot. If Scoot Henderson was in this draft, there's a case for him going number one. Um, this kid is powerful. He's electric in every sense. He's qu both quick and fast because those are two different things. Uh, he's got Kawhi hands where he can just pick up the ball, be a pom like whatever. Like he's got huge hands, explosive, can handle, got the ball in the string, can shoot, can jump over anybody. Um, tremendous teammate, like just like Zhang, like Scoot is always vocal. He is supporting his guys. He's supporting his players. He's the first one off the bench to help people during a timeout, coaching people up, takes coaching well. And I got to see a workout of his out uh, in Vegas this past summer after he signed with or agreed to go to Ignite, um, watched him out at Impact. Everything about this guy's game is just solid. Like he does everything well. He creates. He's great off the ball. Um, he's intelligent. He's he's instinctual. He's disciplined. On, honest to goodness, if this kid was in this draft, it would be difficult for me not to take him one. Um, next year will be interesting just because you're going to have um, so many players up at the top or at least two or three at the top where you're like, hey, these guys can go number one. Um, I just I just don't know. The sky's the limit for him. Like, I'm all in. Everybody else should be totally bought in as well. If you haven't seen Scoop play, like, turn on an Ignite game because this kid is special. Yeah, I couldn't have said that any better myself. One last question before the G or for the G League portion. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is this year's team better than last year's? You can answer that as either through a G League lens in terms of like winning games or in just overall talent. Um, what do you think of those two side by side of last year's team versus this year's? Mm. I. <laughs> You know, if you look, I, I think this this year's team has a chance to have three first-round picks where last year had two, although Todd went 31. So we might just give him the benefit of the doubt and, and say he was a first-round pick for this exercise. Um, I think this team is more well-rounded. I think last year's team was more star-powered up at the top. I mean, they had last year's team with, with Kaminga and Green had two, you know, legitimate kind of like top five or six talents on the same floor where – this year, I think we could see four first-round picks, maybe, because I think you're going to have Hardy go in the top ten. You'll have Daniels and Bochamp um, probably be 20s, if my guess, if, uh, if I have to try to guess so far out. And then Foster has a legitimate chance to sneak into the back end of the first as well. So I think just this team's probably more well-rounded. But last year had a little more kind of star power. Yeah, I I think I think that's actually a really way good – a good way to put it is uh, if you're going for star power as last year, but if you're going for just overall top to bottom, I think this year is probably favorable. I mean, you're looking at three mid first round or excuse me, two mid uh, one top 10 guy, like you said, and then two to three, depending on how, you know, 
what happens the rest of the year, mid, you know, middle of the draft, I guess, guys, 20 to 40, probably ideal range for, for Bochamp, Tyson Daniels, and then Michael Foster. So, um, yeah, no, that was, uh, that was a good recap of the G League, Derek. I really appreciate your insight. When we come back, we'll talk about Nate Johnson and other sleepers across college basketball. But first, let me tell you about Boots Mobile. You listen to podcasts for the power of knowledge. You switch to Boots Mobile for the power of saving money. Get three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line and a free 5G phone when you switch so you can get the latest episodes. And that's all on one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save, Boost Mobile. Disclaimer, free phone limited to new customers and one per line. Additional restrictions apply. Offers coverage not available everywhere on, on uh, or for all phones or networks. See BoostMobile.com for details. All right, back with Derek Murray of Babcock Hoops and BasketballNews.com. Derek, I know someone you have been able to watch is one of my absolute favorite sleepers. I've tweeted about him a few times, and, and uh, I know you've gotten to see him in person. This is Nate Johnson from Xavier. He is a little bit of an obscure prospect if you think about just the path he's taken. He is a 6'4 shooter. He is in his sixth year of college basketball. He is in his second year at Xavier. He played four years at Gardner-Webb. And he is one of the best shooters in the country. He is only shot, or I guess in the last four years, this is a better way to put it. In the last four years, he shot 39% at Gardner-Webb as a junior from three. As a senior there, he shot 41%. Last year at Xavier, he shot 45%. And this year through uh, 12 games, excuse me, 47% from three. Talk to me about, or talk to the people about Nate Johnson and why they should love him. So I saw Nate up close uh, in Stillwater when I played Oklahoma State a couple weeks ago. And I went to the game knowing his shooting numbers. So I was like, okay, this kid's like a legendary three-point shooter um, on great volume. Like all the numbers you just named, those were on five attempts a game, six attempts a game, six attempts a game, and 6.2 this year. So it's not like he's <laughs> – it's not like at the end of the year and you're like, oh, he shot 40%, but he shot 22s or 22 threes, you know. So watching during warm-ups, not only can he shoot, this kid is athletic as all get out. Like he's a legitimate 6'4", 195 pounds, um, absolutely cut up and can jump out of the gym. Like throwing stuff off the backboard to himself, alley-oops from teammates just, you know, coming out cold and can jump out of the gym. Like I, I, all I know is I left, I was like, I don't know how this guy doesn't get picked in the second round. Like this guy is like a legitimately good player who I think can get NBA minutes tomorrow, um, at least in a small capacity for somebody. And then I go up, uh, I go upstairs, talk to some of the NBA guys up there. And I had two of them tell me unprovoked because I say, you know, I'm here to watch Colby Jones. You know, I'm here to check out some of the Stillwater, the Oklahoma State guys, whatever. And both of them both said, yeah, we're here to we're here to watch Nate Johnson. We're really hopeful that he slips out of the second because we've already got our G League guys ready to basically offer him if that were to happen. And that just kind of tells me, okay, NBA guys see it. They recognize it. I just think they're underplaying a little bit his draftability. Like, yes, he's old, quote, old, if you will. But, I mean, goodness gracious, like, I'm not one to care too much about age. You know, a little bit when you're looking at upside in the lottery, like, yes, I want youth. But I loved Duarte last year so much. Didn't care that he was 24. Um, you know, there are other guys. And, you know, Johnson's older. But that skill set, at this point, there's no question of, is it a fluke? Is it a one-year thing? Like, no, this guy's been doing it for years and he continues to get better. Like the numbers go, the numbers go up. Like this year, his field goal percentage, two-point percentage, three-point percentage, it's all gone up. Um, turnovers have remained at only at 1.7 a game. 
uh, in 27, you know, 30 minutes. So I'm all about some Nate Johnson. I was probably a little late to the Nate Johnson party, but I'll just tell you, seeing him that time in Stillwater, um, if I've got a mid to late second round pick, like I'm in because I think I can play him really quick. Hey, I don't think you're late at all. I think uh, I, I think this party has not even begun yet. It's still the pregame over here. So I think you're you're in time 20 early. Since you got to see Xavier and Oklahoma State, I'm actually curious about um, two guys. And I, I did not prep you at all that I was going to ask about. This just kind of crossed my mind. But um, what did like? There's two players that have stood out, and they probably I think they faced off against each other. I haven't seen the game. Uh, but I would assume so. Paul Scruggs and Isaac Likely. What's the what's going on there? Because I thought I would really like Paul Scruggs as a fifth year senior. I thought he would dominate when player of the year. I put that on this podcast that he would win the Big East player of the year this year. And it could not be any further from that this year. What's what's going on with uh, those two? Do you see either playing in the NBA anytime soon? I don't actually. And it pains me to say that, you know, Scruggs has been a guy that a lot of people have liked for a while. Um, I just don't know if the shooting has improved to a level to where you know and confidently can say that you can put him on an NBA floor. Uh, you know, long arms, athletic, legitimate 6'3", 6'4", um, defensive-minded guard. Like, And he can be a lead point guard as well. He's got great vision. I just don't know what he does at a level that makes you say, I have to draft him or he's going to earn his way onto this NBA floor and in this rotation due to, you know, skills A, B, or C. I just don't know what those are. And then likely – Great kid, great teammate, ultimate competitor, you know, 6'4", 215 probably. Kid looks like an NFL defensive end, but he just simply refuses to shoot the three ball. And I've watched it four years in a row, and it just absolutely kills me because he's a heck of a defender. He can lock you up probably two through four because he's so strong. Um, He's getting better at driving the lane, kind of creating his own paint touches and scoring with a little bit of touch on floaters but he just will not shoot the three just won't do it. Uh, and that just breaks my heart. So I don't think, I don't think that he'll end up being an NBA guy, um, but we've been rooting for him for a long time. So maybe he can play in the G league and they can kind of help him mentally be like, Hey, like it's okay to miss. We just need you to take them. Uh, but he's just not there yet. Yeah. Likely he's been a guy that I've been watching since I've been going to TCU games for the last four years. So I, I had to get your insight and I know you're big with Oklahoma state. Um, and those are just a couple of sleepers, you know, way down the board. But speaking of sleepers, talk to me about some sleepers. I'll let you do two. I'm going to do one, uh, and I'll let you go first. We'll alternate. Who are some sleepers that have really grown on you over, I guess, just the last month of college basketball starting and, and some guys that you continue to see growing just on your board? Who are some guys that have really caught your attention that's just under the radar? Hmm, from a, I, th- I think there's one that's a first-round sleeper that probably should go in the teens – or early 20s at the latest that is getting mocked way too low. Um, and that is Musa Diabate. Like we think he's a teens player. Uh, NBA people think he's a guy that'll probably go anywhere from late lottery to early 20s. Um, he's just not getting a lot of productivity or volume because Michigan has a lot of good bigs. Um, John Dickinson, you know, they're playing, they're playing well. Uh, so you know, Moose is not getting a ton of work. But he's 6'10, 6'11, um, 210. He's physically imposing, 7'3 wingspan. Um, work in progress a little bit on offense, but I don't know how that kid falls. It would be a travesty for him to fall out of the first. So I think Diabate is being marked way too low by a lot of people right now. Yeah, Diabate is someone that I know a lot of people on draft Twitter 
pegged as a, a sleeper quality candidate, big man. And I've been confused why the draft stock for him is just so low. It, it does feel a little bit out of character. So that's a really good pick. I think he's someone who, if March Madness comes and he has a big game, I think he skyrockets being a freshman and everything. Mine is a little bit different. I, I struggled choosing just one, but I think uh, this is someone who actually is not too far from, if I'm not mistaken, where your your stomping grounds are in Tennessee. But Scotty Pippen Jr. I know I know the size is not on his side. I, my favorite thing is people are like, oh, he needs his, his dad's growth spurt. You know, he's only six one, six two, but he's still productive. He really forces a lot of turnovers on the defensive end. Deep range can shoot. The three point percentage hasn't been strong just yet. Thirty three percent to start the year, but I think that'll come up. What do you think of Scotty Pippen? I know that's kind of a he's probably a fringe top 60 guy at best right now, but do you do you buy the upside with him? Yeah, so I'm right there with you. Fringe top 60. We started the year with him around 55 on our board. As of today, he is not on it, but he is like if we extend it any further, he is like 61, 62. So he's right there. Um, I love the scoring. You are correct. I'm probably two hours from Vanderbilt right now, home in Tennessee. So uh, God's country up here in the mountains. And yeah, I actually, I like Scotty Pippen's game. It, I do think, I don't like to second guess. Every kid's story is different. I was a little bit confused that he averaged 21 a game and decided to come back to school. Uh, you know, him and A. Smith are kind of in that same old as, man, like how, how much can you gain by going back? You're an undersized guard. Hey, but your volume score, you shot lights out, you scored at will. Do we really want to go back to school? And that was something I struggled with. So I put him, I did put him in the back of our second um, early on, not there today, but I am with you. I like him. I think he can score anywhere on the floor uh, and he's effective and efficient. Defense has slept on quite a little, quite a bit just because he's so small, but I do like Pippen. Yeah, I, yeah, that makes me feel vindicated, so I'm happy. And I have the same concern, though. I, I was really confused why he didn't come out. I usually, after the season ends, I usually only do scouting reports of players I'm pretty confident are going to stay in the draft, and I did one of him, and, and I was just stunned I had to pull it back. I, I did not expect it at all. Uh, so who's your last sleeper? Who's the guy that uh, – one other sleeper that has really caught your attention? Bring us home, Derek. I've been really impressed with Darius Days this year. Um, you know, Days is a guy that feels like every single year it's – is Days draftable? He's physical enough. Is the shooting for real? Uh, you know, I just feel like kind of we kind of always go back and forth on him. But I mean, this year I'm I'm all about it. Averaging 14 and a half, 8.7 boards, shooting 35% from three after 45 or a 40% last year. And he's just active on both ends. You know, six seven might be a little nice. So I'll give him six six, two forty-five. But again, it'll be your undersized four. But I think he can stretch the floor. He'll crash the boards on both ends. Probably if he's draftable, you're looking 45 to 60 range. But, I mean, in that in that area of the draft, like, I'm all about it. I'll take him on my team. So he's a guy that I definitely like kind of in that back end of the second round. Dude, I cannot – I wish you could see my smile on my face right now. Darius Days is a friend of the Locked On Network. Uh, Tony East at Locked On Pacers was the original guy who was like two years ago uh, for the 2020 draft, pre-draft before he – didn't go out. He was like, Hey, Darius days is a guy to watch. Like I really like him as a glue guy. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. He's not that good. And then last year he just exploded for me really thought he could have come out and gotten drafted this year. I'm still all in on him. We talked a little bit about Jonathan uh, Chamala Chachua being that undersized small ball five. And I actually think 
Darius Days is probably the best candidate of being that super under, undersized small ball five where he does a little bit of everything. He's a textbook glue guy. Uh, I, I just, I see a role for him. He, he plays bigger than his size. He's athletic. He can stretch the floor. He's really smart. He knows how to play the game and he has length. So like he checks all the boxes of kind of beating the, the norm, beating the standard of what a small ball five is. So I, I really like that pick. You cannot have brought a bigger smile to my face with that. I'm, I'm very excited for him to dominate SEC play. He'll do very well and kind of just up his stats there. But uh, those are good picks. So you went with Darius Days and um, I'm sorry, who was the, and I, I know I chose Scotty Pippen. Who was your first one? I just drew an absolute blank. Musa, I, Musa Diabate. Yes, Musa Diabate of Michigan. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, so this was a great conversation. If you don't follow Derek already, it's at D Murray Hoops. He is an incredible follow. Um, he is always out there in the trenches during draft, the, during the draft. Awesome guy, and he's got good videos, stuff you won't see anywhere else. So, Derek, thank you so much for joining us, and can't wait to have you on again in the future.